struggle is real, actually usually gets translated like this. In this world, you will have trouble. Jesus recognized, Jesus told us straight out, in this world, you're going to struggle. In this world, you will have troubles. And I don't need to tell you, but I will, because I planned for this anyways. I don't need to tell you the struggle is real. I mean, the struggle of school is real. Right, kids? Can I get an amen on that? If there's a kid in the room, this, the struggle of school is real. I mean, I, would, I wouldn't mind being like having like the body of a kid again, but I would not want to navigate middle school, high school, college, grad school. I would not want to navigate that again. School is a struggle at times, right? I mean, you know what? You're living it. I got bad news for you. You maybe already know it. Work is a struggle. I mean, the struggle is real at work. You got to deal with bosses. You got to deal with coworkers. You got to deal with deadlines. You got to deal with stresses. The struggle of work is real. And then you go home, and guess what I've discovered? The struggle at home can be real. I mean, the struggle of managing your household is real. Some of us, the struggle of marriage is real, right? Sometimes the struggle to get together to be, I mean, the, the intimacy, the intensity of marriage can be a blessing, can be a joy, but my friends, it can be a struggle at time. Friends, the struggle of singleness can be real. It's like you can't escape it. If you're single, it can be a struggle. If you're married, it can be struggle. The struggle of wanting to have kids and that blessing, that can be a struggle. And I know families that have struggled through that. But I got to tell on the other side, having kids can be a struggle too. Give me an amen or a witness on that one. Kids can be a struggle. Our own lives can be a struggle. Some of us struggle with our emotions. Some of us struggle with our health. At some time in our life, we are going to struggle with emotion. We are going to struggle with our health. If you haven't had it yet, the time is coming when it is going to be a struggle. The struggle, my friends, is real. And Jesus tells us the struggle is real. Jesus tells us, in this world, you will have trouble. But guess what? I have good news. That was all, it's like, I came to church to be encouraged, not encouraging just yet here, George. Guess what? He didn't finish the statement. Do you know where the statement goes from there? In this world, you will have trouble. John 16, 33, but take heart for I have overcome the world. The struggle is real. The struggle in this world is real. The struggle comes down to this. The struggle with sin is real. And that's really what it comes down to. We are, we are born into what the Bible calls this world of sin. We are sinned against and we commit sins. They are sins of commission, things that we do. They are sins of omission, things that we just neglect doing that can bring hurt or harm to others. We know that what the Bible encapsulates this idea of sin is where the real heart of the struggle is. We struggle with this thing called sin, but take heart. Jesus has overcome the world. He's overcome the sins of the world. He can overcome the sins of our lives. And while we will struggle, there is hope we can overcome. Whoo! It's good to get to the good news now, and we're going to be leaning into this for the series, The Good News for Troubled People, for Struggling People, for Difficult Situations in Our Lives. I got to tell you, though, as we kind of get started in this, that Every time I pick a sermon series, God starts doing a work in my life. Whenever we did our Seven Deadly Sins series, I found that I just wanted to engage in every one of those sins in deep ways each... No, all right, no, but... No, all right, I didn't, I didn't 
intentionally engage in them, but it brought out how each one of those has really affected my life. When we went through this Exodus series, I really just found this imagery of being brought out of captivity and into freedom. God was doing a kind of an exodus in my life and in certain areas. And then I should have never said we're going to do the struggle is real because God's like, all right, I'm going to make the struggle real for you, George. And I got to tell you, I, I know some people have it worse, but the past couple weeks, really just like the last two weeks, I've had some struggles come into my life. Um, the first thing, that, and, and it's all around car, cars. I've said this before. Cars hold no magic for me. Cars are, are just, just stress and trauma for me. I don't know what it is. I just wish I could ride my bike everywhere. I mean, which I try to do literally, but we just had these car troubles. Uh, my son and I went on a team ride uh, w with a bike team, and we came back, and we're driving home, and the back window shattered. And we had no idea why. And so just warning out there, sometimes windows shatter. Literally, the mechanic's like, I don't know why. Sometimes windows shatter. It sounded like a gunshot. The window shattered. I get home, and then we're like, oh, this is going to cost $500. Woo, there's a financial struggle that I'm going to have to face in my life. And then that's normally the car that my daughter drives. So my wife says, all right, you can take my car. She gets rear-ended. And the car is maybe totaled. The insurance is still going back and forth with us. And then here was the thing that I haven't told anybody yet, and I'm going to tell you all now. Then I said to myself, well, I'm gonna, I, need, I need to relax. I'm going to go on a bike ride. I get together with a friend. We go up the mountain. We, we're, we're coming down. To be honest, I'm just not paying attention. I'm coming down with those steep things, and I got a speeding ticket. I have not had a speeding ticket since I was six years old. Oh, confession is good for the soul. I mean, just to like tell you people, I, the struggle is real. I haven't had a ticket in six years. I mean, I haven't had, no, I'm older than 22. No, no, I mean, it's been 30 years since I had a speeding ticket, and now I'm a criminal. I'm tell, I don't know, maybe I'm not a criminal. I may be, I mean, maybe that's not a big deal for you. Maybe you're like, I get tickets all the time. I have talked to people, but I like pride myself on the fact that I had not had a ticket for 30 years, and now my self-esteem, my identity has been destroyed, my friends. So I'm telling, the struggle is, my next series, by the way, is going to be how to win the lottery and turn back the clock on your, you, I mean, I mean I'm, I'm just going to pick something that's going to bless my life because I've felt that the struggle is real in real ways in my life, and I know you have as well. And some of us, it's big. Some of us know the struggle is big. Whenever a loved one dies with cancer, nobody would deny that struggle. But even the struggles, the little things, the ins, the outs, the stresses of day-to-day -day life, it can feel like a burden and a weight of struggle on us. Let me, let me change gears here a bit, and this will kind of then bring us like back around into this theme now of Jesus is going to help us in our, in our times of struggle. Um, There's certain sayings that we pastors have we, 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 that really encapsulate a lot of what we want faith or Jesus uh, or life or ministry or the church to be about. One of the things that apparently I say, I didn't realize I said this until it was kind of pointed out to me, I, apparently it's a thing I say and staff a lot during the week as I say, hey, we're just a satellite campus of heaven. You know, when we want people come to connections and engage here, we want them to just get that taste of heaven, a glimpse of glory, 
uh, some hope, uh, some peace, some comfort, uh, some praise for Jesus. We just want to give people that little taste. We're just a satellite campus of heaven until the kingdom comes. Amen? So that's a thing that I say. If I heard this once, I heard it a hundred times from my pastor growing up. He just said this, you know, just, so this just kind of like, like imprinted on me as a young person and as a Christian moving forward in faith. He always said this. He always said, the church is a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints. The church is a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints. Now, I think there are some reasons why he said that in the time and the air and things that were happening. But let, 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 let me say this about this. We can unpack that statement a lot, but there is certainly the dynamic where we know we are called to be saints, and we should not shy away from that. I mean, you pick up the New Testament, and you read pretty much any one of Paul's letters uh, to any one of the churches that he's planted or doing doing ministry with, and he's going to greet the saints in Rome, and the saints in Colossae, and the saints in Ephesus, and and he's going to, so he is always affirming that we are called to become saints. We are called to become a holy people, a called people, a set-aside people. We are called to the righteousness of Jesus Christ. It's not in and of ourselves, but we stand in this grace of Jesus Christ that makes us as saints, and so yes, beautifully, we are called to this sainthood, you know, in Jesus Christ. But if we lean too far from that, we lose the sense that the church needs to be this hospital for for sinners. But here's why I bring this up. As a young person, I took note of that, and I began to look around the church community. I began to examine, in some sense, the dynamics going around the church, and I thought, you know, this is interesting that we are called to be this hospital, this healing place for people who sin and are sinned against. But what happens whenever the church starts to look like a bunch of people wearing their Sunday best instead of their doctor's lab coats, carrying around their Bibles instead of their clipboard, carrying around their crosses instead of their stethoscope? What happens when the church thinks that we're all the doctors and the nurses? instead of the sinners who come for the healing that can only come through Jesus Christ. One of my favorite passages in the Bible comes from Matthew chapter 9. I'm about to read it for you. I want to say this, though. Um, Serendipitously, providentially, this was the text that was assigned to me when I was pursuing ordination, and so I like had to like study this text inside and out and do word studies and all those things. So I could give you, if you ever want like the academic version of this message, I'll give you like the academic version. We can like geek out on all that stuff, but I'm, I'm giving you, I'm going to give you the much more heartfelt version (laughs) of the message and what I believe this text teaches us so clearly, so compellingly. Jesus is into his public ministry, and he has just had this experience where this paralyzed man is, is brought to him, and Jesus says to him, first and foremost, your sins are forgiven, and everybody, of course, had to be like, whoa, that's not why we're here, Jesus, and Jesus knows what's going on, and some people uh, were actually very critical of them in their spirit, it says, and Jesus knew their criticism, so he says, what's harder to say, your sins are forgiven, or to get up and walk, that you might know that the Son of Man has the power to forgive sins, 
has the power to work this healing for this sickness, this inner sickness that this man has. I'll say it, get up and walk, and he gets up and walks, and people are, of course, blown away. And he immediately goes from there, and he's about to meet a man named Matthew. Let me read this passage here for you. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. That is bad news for the righteous, <laughs> but good news for sinners. He's come for sinners. He's, he's come for the sick. And, and that's good news if you're sick. But, of course, we have to deal with this or face this. We might have to confront this. I mean, are we really sick people? I mean, you're churchgoers. I mean, you chose to come to church and worship on a Sunday morning. There's no way that you are sick people, right? I mean, I mean, I mean none of you would ever lie to your parents. You would never lie to your spouse. You would never deceive a boss at work. I mean, only sick people lie, right? I mean, what kind of a sicko would lie? I, I, mean, I mean, you would never, you know, you know, cheat, you know, on an exam. You'd never, you know, you, you know take a shortcut at work. You'd never cut a corner or, or bend the rules to get a deal done. I mean, only a sick person would do that. You've never, nobody here has, has ever lost their temper with their kids, has ever yelled at their spouse, had said something that even as the words came out of your mouth, you knew it was destructive instead of building up. I mean, only a sick person would have so little control over their tongue and their words to the people that they're called to love the most. Only sick people lose their emotions and their control in such a way. I mean, nobody here has ever looked at a pornographic website. Only a sick person would objectify another human being in such a way. I, I, have I made my point now? I mean, do we recognize that? We have to recognize the sickness of sin, be it extraordinarily large and obvious to the world, or be it in subtle ways that break our fellowship and connection with God. We need to come to this recognition if we are going to come to Jesus and meet Him as Savior and Lord, that we have a sickness in us. Jesus came for the sick. And a walk, a relationship, a salvation that comes through Jesus Christ begins with this recognition that we are the sick, and He has come for people like us. He has come for addicts and broken and confused and the eccentric and the freaks and the geeks. He has come for the hurting for the immoral, for the jaded, for the knocked down and the knocked out. And that beyond this, I had to go to a thesaurus to get adjectives that describe all the ways that we are sick. He has come for the lonely, for the messed up, for the neglected, for the orphans, and for the poor. 
He has come for the queer, the rejected, the scorned. He's come for tax collectors and the unruly and the vile for the wild. I could only pick the word xenophobic, and that is a problem for some people. The young and the zealots, he has come for all of us and every kind of sickness that we might have and be willing to come for him for healing and hope and restoration in our lives. Amen, friends? He's come for the sick. And if we're going to come to Jesus, we need to come to him as a sick people. Many of you know the story of Bill Wilson, but maybe you don't know Bill Wilson's story. Bill Wilson was born in the late 19th century, coming into the 20th century. He was abandoned and orphaned at an early age. His father ran off to Canada, of all places, and his mother off to Boston. He was left to be raised in Vermont by his grandparents. He finished school, he went off to the military, he moved to New York City, and he, early on, had great success on Wall Street, except Bill had a problem that he couldn't seem to get control of. Bill just couldn't stop drinking. He moved from a casual drinker to a social drinker to a full-blown alcoholic. He had tried all of the systems, the structures, the recovery groups of the day. The uh, puke and purge is one of them was called that I read about. Red Carl Young tried to gain mastery over his, his conscious, but he just couldn't knock this habit. And things were getting worse and worse, even after Bill got married and Bill had a family. In 1935, he went to Akron, Ohio to seal a deal, and the deal fell through. And he was devastated. And almost more than anything else, he wanted to drink himself numb once again. But slightly more than that desire to drink was his desire to not want to drink like that anymore. And so he had an idea. Maybe if I can help somebody else, maybe I can be helped in the process. So he called his friend, Dr. Bob Smith. And he talked, and he came down, and he never had that drink. And a month later, he got together with Dr. Smith, and that night marked the beginning of Dr. Smith's journey into sobriety. And that is pinpointed as the launch, the beginning point, uh, the genesis of what has become Alcoholics Anonymous. And it all started whenever Bill had that idea that maybe if I could help somebody else, I could be helped. Maybe together, maybe together, we can get through this. Maybe together, maybe together, we as a church can get through our struggles, the real struggles of our lives. Maybe together as a church with Jesus Christ, there's hope for the sicknesses that plague our particular and personal lives. But the problem is, the problem is that churches tend to make a mistake, I think. And this is a theme I come back to often in our preaching. I hope this will sound familiar to some. If not, I pray it might become familiar because this is close and deep to my heart. I think churches make a subtle mistake whenever they make two different kinds of groups. Classically, in churches in the 20th century, we've had two different kinds of groups. We've had the first kind of group that meets, and they're all the normal people. They're all the Christian people. 
They're all the doctors and the nurses who get together in their Sunday best and their Bibles and their crosses, and they act like they have it all together and everything is okay and that they've overcome every struggle of life and no, there's no problems in their lives. And then the church sends to the basement, in through the back door, into the catacombs of the, of beneath the church sanctuary, all of the alcoholics, all of the broken, all of the hurting, all who struggle, all who are willing to come together and say, hi, my name is George, and I struggle with whatever it is I struggle with. Won't you all help me? And what I want in this launch of our connection groups this fall, and what I want more than anything for our church is to be a church that has just one kind of a group. And that kind of group is for all of us normal people who recognize that the norm in a world that is broken by sin is filled with people that have been broken by sin. And that it's touched my heart. And that it's touched my emotions. It's affected my health. It's affected my family. It's affected my friends. It's affected my church. It's affected you. The normal that we do not get out of this world unmarred by sin because we know that in this world there will be struggle. There will be trouble. In this world we struggle with sin and we need to come together and recognize that we need help through Jesus Christ. And it can start right now when we say, I'm sick. I need a doctor. Jesus, help. A lot of times in messages, you know this, if you've been around here a while, I like to have some fun, I like to keep talking to me, I like to keep talking to one another. We can't have fun in worship. That is allowed, you know that. Don't say this to me. Don't say this to your neighbor. But you can say this to God right now. You can say to God right now, I'm sick. I need a doctor. Jesus, help. Maybe you want to say that right now. I'm sick. I need a doctor. Jesus, help. I guess I'm the only one. It's all right. I know I need it. I know I need Jesus. I know I need forgiveness of sin. I know I need a Savior. I know you do too. We can move that direction. We can become a church like that, that recognizes the reality that in this world we will have trouble and we will take heart for Jesus has overcome the world. If only we will come to him. And, and you know when we come to that, you know we're working the 12 steps. The first steps are to recognize there is a problem, to admit we are powerless, and to call on a higher power, however you understand that higher power for help. We recognize there's a problem. I am sick. We recognize that we need outside help. I need a doctor. And then we name who the doctor is, the higher power, Jesus, help. We can become this kind of a community where real healing can come. Here's how churches, I think, get it wrong. Here's the heart of how we get it wrong. Churches sort of embrace this model that goes, believe, behave, and then belong. We have this expectation on people that they will go from unbelief to belief in the, 
in a, in a flash, in a moment, that will make a proclamation, and that all of a sudden we will believe, we will get everything there is about Jesus, about God, about the Holy Spirit, about the church, about the second coming of Jesus Christ, about the origin. You know, we, we kind of expect that everybody kind of gets it all in one big lump, that we believe, and maybe sometimes it happens that way. Maybe belief comes in a flash for a lot of people. Awesome if it does. And then we expect people to align their behaviors. Now get everything in line. Start worshiping and get in a group and start serving and start giving and, and, and just get everything in your behaviors all lined up with God. And whenever you do that, then you can belong. Then we'll give you your Sunday best. Then we'll give you your, your, your leather-bound monogrammed Bible. We'll give you your cross, and then you will belong. But when I look at the life of Jesus, he flips the script. He flips the script of the Pharisees, and he flips the script that so many people have experienced in church. He doesn't say, believe, behave, and belong. Jesus says, belong. And behave in a way that is going to bring blessing to you and others and start to believe these truths that I've revealed to you. He does this with, with Matthew. He does this in the story we just read. What does he say to Matthew? Matthew, tax collector. The ta and, and we'd have no like cultural reference point for like just how loathed and the betrayal and categorically estranged and looked down upon. He, he doesn't say to Matthew, he says, Matthew, who do you say I am? Matthew, tell me the Apostles' Creed. Matthew, recite for me the confessions of the church. Matthew, I want to know that you have everything in your belief all in order. Matthew, tell me about your conduct in life. If you have any areas out of line with who I am as Jesus Christ, I will swing back around in another year. And if you get, no, no, no. What does he say to Matthew? Follow me. Matthew, you belong with me. Matthew, you belong with me. You belong in a relationship with me. You are called to walk with me. I want you to be with me. I want you to belong with me. Follow me. And we know that as he followed Jesus, his behaviors would start to be modified because he would start to do the things that Jesus did. And we read of the disciples that they did begin to do the things that Jesus did. And then finally, it's actually then much later, then Jesus says, so who do you say I am now? Now that you've been following me around for well over a year, now that you've been doing these things that I've been doing, now who do you say I am? And that is whenever Peter actually says, we believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God. He's come into the world. But Jesus flipped the script of what so many people have experienced in life. Now, listen, I'm not saying, I'm, I'm not saying belief doesn't matter. Listen, I'm a preacher. I proclaim, I want you to believe. There are things I want to, you to believe about God, about Jesus, about the Spirit, about the church, about your life as a Christian. Absolutely, I want you to believe. Amen? Somebody give me an amen, because belief is important. I want you to behave. Because I believe the Jesus plan works. I've been on the Jesus plan, thank God, because my parents taught me the Jesus plan, and I just took it on faith. And now, with a few years behind me, when I look at people's lives and I look at the world, I can say this from a purely practical standpoint, the Jesus plan is the best plan. You want the best plan for life and your behavior? Get on the Jesus plan. It will save you from pain. It will save others from pain. It is the best plan. I'm a parent. I believe in behaving, right? I mean, I'm <laughs> just going to shout out. I believe in behaving. But what I'm saying is what I say to my own kids. You belong. You belong to me. 
You belong to me. You belong to me. You belong to your mom. You belong in our family. You will always have a place of belonging here. And absolutely, I want your behavior to reflect our family and our values and that you would know and love God and want to serve and follow him all of your lives. And absolutely, I want you to believe. But it didn't start with my kids believing as infants. I didn't pick up my baby or birth Eden whenever she was, you know, an hour, you know a minute old and be like, what do you believe? My no! <laughs> I said, you're mine. We belong. And through my own behavior and conduct, I want you to learn how to live a life that honors and glorifies God and brings blessing and joy to you and others. And as you grow and develop and mature as a woman, I hope that you will embrace these beliefs. But we have to flip that script for people. Sick people need to know they have a safe place, a healing place, a place of wholeness. Sick people need to know that they can belong. And sick people need to know that their behavior can change with the help of the Holy Spirit. And sick people need to know that there is a truth, a belief system. There are things that have been revealed to us that show God's divine wisdom and power that we can hold on to in a world that is so shaky in so many other areas. Um, let me wrap this up. Band, we are going to need to worship. What we're going to do here in this series, we started it last week is uh, I'm going to try and we're kind of cut tighten some things up at the beginning because we want to give you a time to worship at the end so that your worship and your words don't just set you up but become your response. So we're being very intentional with these songs that we are picking and these sets that we're doing after the message because this is going to become your time for response to God's word. So Matthew, after Jesus calls him, after he starts following after he starts changing his life, after his beliefs start to come into alignment with Jesus Christ, Matthew actually goes on to write the book called Matthew that starts the New Testament. But a few chapters later, which would be sometime later, Matthew caught these words from Jesus. And they're found in chapter 11, verse 28. just want to read this passage here for you. Jesus said this then to Matthew, to the disciples, and to all that were crowded around him on this occasion. He says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. My friends, we are all invited to come to Jesus, but the invitation does have a condition. You have to come and you have to say, Jesus... I am weary. I'm wearied from the world. I'm wearied from sin. I'm wearied from the sins that have I've committed, sins that have been committed against me. I'm wearied from this world of brokenness and sin. Jesus, I am burdened. I am burdened by this sin that ensnares. I am burdened by struggles in this world. Jesus, I'm burdened. Jesus, I'm sick. Jesus, I'm sick. I need a doctor please help. I'm sick. I need a doctor. Please help. When we can say that to Jesus, our redemption, our restoration, our salvation begins to kick in. And as we kick off now this series, the struggle is real. We will get into some of the real struggles 
of our lives. I want to get real with you about anxiety. I want to get real with you about depression. I want to get real with you about mental illness. I want to get real with you about physical sickness that eats away at our bodies. I want to get real with you about things like financial struggles that lead to the most heated arguments in most households. I want to get real with you about these struggles, but let's get to the most real place we need to get to right here and right now. I'm sick. I need a doctor. Jesus, help. Would you make that your prayer with me this morning? I'm sick. I need a doctor. Jesus, help. Let me pray for us. Oh, Jesus, if nobody else needs it, I know I need it. I need it new and fresh every single morning. I need to know in this world still mired by the sin that so easily ensnares and entangles our lives, I know I need you. Jesus, I'm sick. I'm sick with sin. And I need help. And I need you. Come and be my Savior. And as my Savior, lead me as your Lord. I thank you that I have a belonging in you. I thank you that there is a way to live that can bring your blessing. I thank you that my beliefs that I hold on to give me such peace and assurance in this world. Jesus, help. Jesus, help. We pray this in your name. Amen. Let's repair and consecrate yourself. When you're in God's word, I promise you, there will be a response. There will always be a response because there is a way to worship God. And as if it wasn't obvious, but sometimes we have to state the obvious. For us, the path has been cleared. The idols have been torn down. And we have now a way and a truth and a life in worship. We now have a Savior who is the way and the truth and the life that invites us to worship him and him alone. We have Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord, and he is the way. He is the life. He is the truth of God, the word living for us. Put your faith, put your trust, put your worship in him. And as you go through this way of worship, anything that is working its way between you and God, some idol, fame, sex, beauty, love, uh, 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 a goal, athleticism, whatever it is, and the human heart can make anything an idol, can allow most anything come between us and God, Christ will lovingly, bring you back to himself and show you the way and the truth and the life in him and will root these idols out of your life. Let me pray for you. Let me pray for me and let us consecrate ourselves with finally the perfect song. I can't believe we waited this long for desert song. It's the perfect song. So we're going to pray and we're going to sing the perfect song to consecrate ourselves to this. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for revealing this for them, for us, revealing this exodus for us. And now, without any more flowery words or long-winded messages, Lord, we ask for our exodus. Lead us out of any idolatry 
out of anything that comes between you and us. Lead us out of the way that leads to destruction, to pain, to brokenness, to heartache, even to death. Lord, lead us out and lead us into your way. Lead us into your truth. Lead us deeper into your life. In Jesus Christ, our Savior and our Lord, we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Let's worship.